0: This week we step up to the trench with Ben Wheatley, director of Meg, to the streets. Or maybe the other way round. Plus the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that is cutting back on stupid jokes. (laughs) Some of you will be relieved to hear. Hello Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to a stupid joke-free zone that is this week's Empire Podcast. We are recording this remotely uh, due to laziness. (laughs) Is that a stupid joke? I don't know. Ah, uh, it's Acura, a minefield. I would say it's a minefield. Uh, no, but why are we recording this remotely? My two colleagues of such lethal cunning, Ben Travis, hello, and James Dyer. Why are we? Why are we remote? Remind me. Well, a number of reasons. I would say partly the office is closed. Uh... But we don't. <laughs> we don't record any. We don't
1: record in the office. We do record in the studio. Uh, we're lazy, and we didn't want to go into town. And I'm <laughs> trying to write a feature, so <laughs> I didn't want to go all the way into town
0: to do it and come back. Yes. Yes. All right. That's the reason why. That's the reason why. Uh, Jimbo and Ben are here. Helen is in Northern Ireland, uh, frolicking through fields and, uh, you know, the 40 shades of green and all that sort of stuff. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful time. She was at the Giant's Causeway the other day. Are you stalking Helen on social
2: media? by stalking uh, like i I follow helen on instagram why wouldn't i that's that's an extremely normal thing to do wow Uh, i just asked her to say hello to hellboy for me at the giants causeway which is the true you know traditional greeting when you visit that part
0: of the world say hello to hellboy And say hello to Finn McCool while you're there as well, the the giant who built the the Giant's Causeway and who, legend has it, is also responsible for creating the Isle of Man. That's one legend anyway, that he was uh, – Finn McCool's height changes wildly from story to story. (laughs) In some stories, he's just like a 25-foot giant who built this Giant's Causeway. And the story is that he built this Giant's Causeway because he had beef with another giant in Scotland. And so he built the giant's causeway to meet the giant to kick seven shades of shit out of him. And then when he started seeing how big the other Scottish giant was, he turned tail and and ran. Um, (laughs) Finn, not so cool. Finn, not so cool. So in one story, he's like 25 feet or so. But in another story, he was so enraged one day that he put his mighty fist into the earth and scooped out this massive chunk of land and flung it into the sea. And that became the Isle of Man. And water rushed in to the hole left by his excavation. And that became Loch Ney. Now, for that to work, Finn McCool in that telling would have to be several hundred feet tall at least. So it's a bit variable. Basically, what I'm saying is, sort your fucking shit out, uh, early tellers of stories. Maybe he's like Ant-Man. <laughs> Maybe he, is. he can just change his height at will. <laughs> Maybe Finn McCool was the first person to access a quantum realm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Pim particles, that's your answer.
0: I'm fully on board now. Five stars to Finn McCool. Pim McCool. I'm not just asking this because I have my
2: Max Rebo Band t-shirt on, but is Finn McCool by any chance related to Droopy McCool of the Max Rebo bands? <laughs> of the McCool
1: dynasty. No, but Slice Noodles is a very well-known character from Northern Irish mythology. Oh so. <laughs> chopper!
0: Does, do any of you know
1: the names of that little furball that turned up in the special edition? No, I wish no, I did Neither Do I. I? I should do, but no, I don't.
0: Ben, you know, do we, do we all know the names of the Max Rebo band? We all know all all the players. So Droopy McCool, Max Rebo, yeah, and um, size Noodles. Size Noodles, but who's there? there's another guy, isn't there? There's another guy.
2: Is there? I thought it. Was, I thought they were a trio. Max is on
1: keyboards. Droopy's on what looks like an oboe, uh, and uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. They don't
2: have a drummer. Sice noodles is on pure vibes. Yes, Sice noodles is the vibes man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: I'm pretty sure Dave Grohl's done a few sets with him. He may well <laughs> just, have done. He may well have done. At, at some point, at some point, the law of averages will suggest that Dave Grohl will turn up and do a set.
2: Here's my little uh, Max Rebo plush from this year's Star Wars Celebration. So at it, 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 Celebration in the shop, they had the whole band as a set of plushes. I just have Max Rebo, but the band they set they had was Max Rebo, Droopy McCool, and Sice Noodles. There wasn't a fourth member oh. unless there's been some kind of I don't know, Fleetwood Mac style I misremember beef, some kind of, you know, oh this one was in a relationship with that one and then they broke up and they're out of the band and now they're all doing cocaine and if, if Disney Plus
0: is listening, I would watch that as a show. But wouldn't you love to see a sort of uh, behind this behind the music style documentary about the Max Weber band? The breakups. No to be clear, so first of all, I've just gone on Wikipedia. Uh-huh. It was a twelve member band. I don't what? know where the
1: rest of the band was at Jabba's Palace, but apparently, after they were so traumatized by the destruction of the sail barge and the death of Jabba at the Great Pit of Carcoon, the band broke up. What after that? They apparently they escaped. They escaped the sail barge. They did not die with Jabba, but the band broke up.
0: Well, it would be traumatic because it was a yeah. big explosion and there was cheers everywhere. <laughs> 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 you'd you'd want to hang up your your saxophone. You're a space saxophone at that point, wouldn't you? Well, I know you guys try and
2: forget the book of Boba Fett at most opportunities, but do you remember Max Rebo was in that? He was in uh, the uh, Jennifer Beals was that her name? She was she owned a casino or a fancy yes, club, and Max Rebo did. was you know doing his his jizz thing. In the club. Well, he's, <laughs> Essentially. He's gone. Yeah, but that's because he went solo.
1: He's got he's gone full Harry Styles. Like he's broken off on his own. He's got he's now a solo act. The band has fallen apart. Here's a fact. So I've gone down the Wikipedia fucking Rancor what not Rancor black Rancor sort of hole now. Sorry, like, uh, do you know that the Rancor had a name and its name was Patisa? Oh Java's pet Rancor
2: was called Patisa.
1: Can either of you name the band in the cantina on Moss Eisley?
2: Yes. Figure Dan and the Modal Nodes.
1: That's correct. That is correct. I bet you couldn't pick figuring Dan out of a
0: fucking lineup, though. <laughs> <laughs> we need to have a battle of the bands. We uh, do. This would be amazing. Also, I think that uh, Glastonbury one year, Max Rebo would absolutely kill it in the Legend slot. Yes. Imagine if that happened. Imagine if Max Rebo turned up on stage five o'clock Sunday and just smacked the living shit out of it. That'd be
2: amazing. Well, as we discussed on the live return of the jedi podcast we did from star wars celebration max rebo has insane range he could do his own eras tour because every single song he plays in return of the jedi is vastly different from the other songs sometimes he's in like pure funk mode sometimes he's in experimental jazz (laughs) i'm pretty sure he had a big pop phase at some point
0: uh yeah incredible range from max rebo That'd be great. Turn up the glass Have a have a bite out of a freshly baked Ewok, and and there you go. Off you go, Max Repo. Amazing stuff. Listen, should we have a should we have a question? Yes, let's do it. All right. So I'm springing this on you guys, but I think this is a really good question. This comes from Asfar Shah, and he asks: Are there any franchises with at least one one star, one two star? Oh my one god, three star. One four-star and one five-star entry. No well good you gave it the, the interrogation and <laughs> but, but no. the focus that question deserved because
1: how many franchises have a five star entry and I would argue that none that have a five star entry have a have a one star entry however there is definitely an argument obviously Ben's got his hand up I know what you're going to say you're absolutely right Rise of Skywalker probably nope. is a one star film nope. so you probably do have broadly speaking the spread in Star Wars so yes okay fair enough that's the answer thanks Ben <laughs> for the help.
0: Trapped in fucking Groundhog Day every time you guys <laughs> mention Rise of Skywalker I'm not, I'm not rising to
2: it I'm I'm happy Rise of Skywalker good movie <laughs> Rise, a couple rise, of things immediately rise. spring to mind uh the, the first one that sprang to mind was there is no five star yet but i would say the current iteration of the monsterverse uh the the godzilla warner brothers monsterverse so uh famously godzilla king of the monsters one star one star shite terrible
1: although this is just you to be fair to be fair this is the pen scale because you took violently against that film, but you are slightly
2: on a ledge with that one. <laughs> it's it's deeply bad. It's deeply bad. It made me so cross. Uh, I'm I'm struggling now because I think there maybe actually isn't a two star one because Godzilla is three stars, as is Kong Skull Island, and Godzilla versus Kong is four. So there's not a two. Okay, scratch that. But the one as James was talking, going, what is it Why is there a five star and a one star? Batman. I know it's not all the same continuity, but there is absolutely a one star Batman film, a two star Batman film, a three star Batman film, a four star Batman mm-hmm. film, and several five star Batman films. There is.
0: There is cheating, but okay. It's not cheating. You see, James, you uh, what you did was you dismissed something out of hand immediately without giving it the proper Me, uh, time Tell me not <laughs> and, and commitment. Uh and Ben Ben, yeah, that's a really good one. So uh okay. So what's your five star Batman entry,
2: Ben? Oh, I mean, Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, probably the the two.
1: So what was your Rancor noise for? Batman Begins is not a five-star film.
2: (laughs) You get full Rancor noise for that. Batman Begins is amazing. Yeah, okay, four stars? Four stars, Dark Knight Rises, The Batman, uh, the Tim Burton, both the Tim Burtons probably a four for me. Uh, then the three, <laughs> another bankroll noise.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, okay. Well, three stars. Actually, go maybe
2: on. the Batman is three for me. I I, 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 I kind of keep forgetting that film exists. When we were doing our lists last year, it would get to the end of year, and I was looking back on what did I see, and i just straight up forget that the Batman happened. It has great stuff in it, but it's probably a three for me. Two is going to be mm-hmm. your Batman Forever, and one is
0: going to be. Batman and Robin. Yeah, Batman and Robin, one of the worst films ever made. Yeah, I think that's a, that is a solid, solid answer. Obviously, this has to apply to franchises that have more than five entries, uh, unless your franchise is wildly variable, uh, like Macribo's career, and you have five films in your franchise, and one of them is a five, one of them is a one, and two and a three and a four. Well done to you, if so. Jimbo, have you thought about this a little bit more? <laughs> maybe
1: a touch if we're if we're gonna if we're gonna spread things out a bit you can probably make an argument for the alien franchise right
0: if we extend it to the predator movies and yes uh
1: yeah like i, I think we can well because okay so alien and aliens both five star films right I yes think we can undeniable argue. yes uh what's the four um, star
0: what's the four star what's, in the that four franchise star is the
1: one that i'm slightly stuck on at the moment i'm, I'm that's the one i'm struggling with because like alien three i'd give a three to same with alien resurrection I think weirdly. I think we could go two for Alien versus Predator, and if we really stretch it, one for Alien versus Predator Requiem.
0: I don't think we're stretching it at all. I think Aliens versus Predator Requiem is a, an abomination of <laughs> I a mean, movie. It's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. It's the four that I'm struggling with. But so I think
1: in that case we might need to sort of lean into the Predatorness of it. But I think a pure Predator film feel, no. feels a little bit wrong. No. So then But then for a four, do we go with? I mean, look. Okay. Okay. For a four, pick
2: like a, a Covenant or a Prometheus. I was going to say Prometheus and then I didn't know if I was going to get yelled at on the internet and by you two in person (laughs) right now. But yeah, I, you know, Prometheus has some issues, but there's so much great stuff in there. Covenant, I kind of have a weird soft spot for, although I think that's a really good Prometheus sequel and a not great alien movie. So if we're talking alien movies, it's probably a three or two star alien movie versus a four star Prometheus sequel. I don't know how that works. But then, weirdly, like I said, like Covenant is more of an alien film.
1: Prometheus for me almost isn't an alien film. It is in the continuity, but it kind of isn't an alien film. But I really like it as a kind of this wild and wacky, ambitious sci-fi film. I know it got a lot of shit because it wasn't what people wanted it to be, but I actually do enjoy it. Whereas Covenant, I think, weirdly, it has good moments. I do like it. It's somewhere between a three and a four. I'd have to watch it again to be sure. But I think we've got the whole spread here. Especially if we can give Requiem the kicking it deserves, I think we can do one to five here.
0: I, I don't think there's a four. I, I don't think there is. I know a lot of people go to bat for Prometheus. I, I just don't, I don't see it. I mean, Alien 3 you could maybe make that argument. I,
1: the assembly cut of 3, I reckon, is a 4. I genuinely do. The theatrical cut is 100% of 3. If we can include the assembly cut, I would definitely give that a 4. Because it right. makes the
0: film so much better. Okay. All Fincher right. wouldn't agree, but I, I maintain no, it is. No, he really would not. He would not. I, I, I think this is a really great question, by the way. And there there are so many franchises that, that I think do kind of qualify. Uh, you know, let's talk horror, shall we? Let's talk horror. Yes. Nightmare on Elm Street.
1: Is the first one a five?
0: Absolutely. The first one's a five. Yeah. It's definitely a high four. It might be a five. It's not might be a five. It's a five. Okay. Uh, the the first one is a, is a five. Uh, Freddy's Dead is a one. You agreed. Dream Warriors is a four. And for me, it's a five. But for, for most, I think I think it would be a four. I love Dream Warriors. And then you have a smattering of twos and a smattering of threes. Yeah.
2: In there. Halloween, I think, absolutely fits into that as well. Like the original Carpenter, nailed on five stars, nailed to the wall with a giant butcher's knife through the chest. Um uh, Yeah, four star ones, maybe Halloween too. I actually really like the first David Gordon Green halloween film that's kind of a four for me there are yeah. definitely some ones in there most of the thorn trilogy the weird middle trilogy of halloween <laughs> when it gets into some <laughs> weird like cult shit halloween resurrection uh halloween resurrection also a, a, a flat out one um oh h2o yeah. is
0: easily a four H2O. h2o is a four h2o is a four uh halloween three season of the witch is a
2: three for me is, that's uh, gonna be my me, three that's a
0: five but I know we, we, we're vastly different on that. You're getting an a fool. And I think you should wear the silver shamrock mask and watch the magic pumpkin. <laughs>
2: that's that's a deeply bad thing. That's going to kill me, Chris. There's going to be snakes coming out of my face. <laughs> Is it, Ben?
0: Is it? Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, well. What a shame. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> let's talk about some of the ones that have loads and loads of entries, right? Okay. So people can, I, can, I, okay. can I make an
1: argument for Star Trek? Go on, then. I can't believe I dismissed this out of hand. You're right; there are tons of examples of this. I'm a lunatic, but like, okay, Star Trek. So, so one star film, Star Trek Five. I'm I'm throwing that in there. That's going straight under the bus. That's fair. There are, I mean, there are. I mean, Star Trek the Motion Picture. I would argue is a two. You could possibly scrape a three if you were feeling charitable. See, but some not people think burn. it's a five. They do, and they're wrong because it's terrible. <laughs> uh, but, but there, I mean, look, there are. I mean, other two. Some people would say Insurrection is a two. That's a four for me because I love it. But I, the two, I think, is a trickier is a trickier area. There are so many threes in there, it's not even funny. Fours, I mean, take your pick. I think a lot of the next-gen ones could go into four. Nemesis, people don't like. I think it's great. I'd give that four. I think we gave it three. Five-wise, Wrath of Khan is a five. First Contact's probably a four, if I'm honest with you, even though it's my favorite of the lot, uh, on a personal level. Of the JJ ones, Into Darkness, again, for me, I like it, but that's three, I think, for most people. Original, like the 2009 Star Trek's probably a four, isn't it? I would say.
0: I'd say that's a five. you say? I mean, I I really love love it, but I don't
1: think many people would call it an all-time classic. I think it's brilliant. And then Star Trek Beyond, I'd give four as well. I think that's great. Um, Mm. I really, really enjoyed that one too. So I think we've got a decent spread there.
0: Yeah, I think that, I think the, weirdly enough, Star Trek Beyond has been revised. There's been a lot of revisionism about that and, and people now seem to dismiss it as a bad one, but I think it's really good. No, it's great. It's got yeah. a lot of fun.
1: There's a like, clear affection for the franchise in there. I think Peg did a brilliant job. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I thought it was great. It's the two stars. It's where, where you land on the two star camp, like such a spark again. It's probably no. a
0: three. No, no, no. So not just, two. No, that's a
1: four. Four? I wouldn't give it four. I'd give it three. I don't love it. It's definitely not a two. Motion um, picture,
0: motion picture's a two. Generations is a two. Generations is not a two. What it's a are you two. talking it's about? It's definitely at least a three. It's not at least a three. Stop it!
1: Stop it! Stop it! Stop it. The undiscovered country is a high four. That's a fucking great. Film. What's the
0: one? What's number nine? The, the insurrection. Nine.
1: That's that's no no. So yeah, so you've got uh uh, uh it's insurrection. Yeah, insurrection is nine. Yeah. Uh,
0: first contact mm. is eight.
1: Nine's nine. Nemesis good. is ten. Again, nemesis is really good. People don't give it the credit it's due. It's like nemesis has a lot going for it.
0: No. No. <laughs> You're not having it. Not you having won't it. have Nemesis. Not having oh. it. Not having Nemesis. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, I don't think the MCU qualifies. genuinely don't. Nothing below a 2. I don't think there's a one star in the yeah. MCU. Uh, secret, secret Invasion doesn't count.
2: <laughs> secret Invasion doesn't count. It's a it's a one disguised as a 3. <laughs> four stars empire magazine four stars um,
0: market,
1: based on the first two episodes true very true no MCU doesn't doesn't it doesn't dip enough it does not dip enough it's got twos it's got threes it's got fours it's got fives it doesn't have any ones
0: I think the DCEU does qualify for, for, for this is there a five in I the DCEU? I think there's absolutely Wonder Woman for me is a five. Oh come on yep no, see Wonder Woman. Like Wonder Woman
1: is is lauded for being fabulous, but it is fabulous r- relative to the others. I think standing on its own, I think the no. third has enough problems that it doesn't achieve classic status. I really enjoy it. It's got brilliant moments in it, but I do not think that is close to a five star film.
0: It's got David Thewlis pretending David to be Dillis. a throwing the you. God of <laughs> You're Wonder Woman. You're a bit of a cheeky monkey, and he's and he's throwing stuff at her. Terrible experiment. <laughs>
2: Hear me out, guys. <laughs> Wonder Woman 1984 yeah. is standing right there. <laughs> oh, fuck off. <laughs> absolutely absolutely it's fuck not a
1: five off. stars,
0: but
2: it's good. It's a fucking two <laughs> no, star <it's> not. film.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely not Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, although that does lead to the question of what the one star film in the DCEU is. Uh, I think I know what it is. I know it. I know it. Is there a one star? There absolutely is, and it's David Ayer's Suicide Squad. Is it a one though? I mean, it's I a you one. Find Empire Magazine gave this four stars.
1: So, uh, yes. Um, <laughs> do you know what? Do you know what? Suicide Squad is a bad film. I don't think it's one. I genuinely, I'm looking at the list now. I genuinely hand on heart, without my trolling Ben hat on, think Wonder <laughs> Woman 1984 is the weakest of the entire run of DCEU movies. You think I it's genuinely worse do
2: the David Ayer's Suicide Squad?
1: I genuinely do. I genuinely. My hatred for that film could solve the world's energy crisis. Honestly, it's. I just. I can't stand it. I cannot stand it.
2: Sure,
0: things are bad,
2: (laughs) but they could be better. Oh my god! Kill me now. James's one wish is that Wonder Woman 1984 doesn't exist. Yes, true.
0: No, but it's 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 Suicide Squad. That that film's wretched. It's um, not good. But that there are many many other franchises, many many other many, wonderful, many wonderful franchises. So franchises. Oh,
1: the Police Academy is not one of them because it doesn't have a five star film. It Although doesn't. the first one is a four.
0: Is it? <laughs> yes, the Police Academy one is brilliant. What are you talking
1: about?
0: <laughs> brilliant is doing a lot of heavy lifting there. Oh Listen, come on! I love it. I think it is still the movie that I have seen most in my life. But uh, like, yeah. but but no. No, come on, let's be let's be realistic here. Bond, let's talk a Bond. Shall let's we? talk Bond. Let's talk. Twenty-five Bond films. Let's not count right. the original Casino Royale or never say never again. Twenty five Bond films. Is there a five? Yes. Goldfinger. Possibly Goldfinger. possibly
2: Casino Royale. Yeah, I'd vouch for that. I'd, I'd, I'd vouch for the Daniel Craig Casino Royale. Maybe, maybe Skyfall. Oh, actually, I've kind of always been a bit of a four on Skyfall. I've thought the Skyfall feels five to me stars. a four. It's a very good, solid four. Yeah, but it feels like a four. But the Casino Royale, Daniel Craig, that is that for me is as, mm. as good as Bond gets. As is Goldfinger. Goldfinger is excellent.
0: I think there are a couple more fives knocking around in the Bond pantheon. I think uh, I think that you could make an argument. If Someone would make an argument. I'm not a fan of Honor Majesty's Secret Service. But you could make an argument that every Bond has a five-star film. Could you? You, you could. You could absolutely make that argument. Uh, argument? Uh, it would be a winning <laughs> argument. It would be a winning argument. And allow me to make it. Uh, Connery. Connery has sure. Goldfinger, and you only Live twice. Laszlo only has one film, but some people think it might even be the best film. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm wrong. not a fan. I'm not a fan. <laughs> it's but good. Like it's good. It's not bad. It's not a bad Bond. It's just not a five star Bond. But Steven Soderbergh might argue otherwise, and uh, I would like to see that happen on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> then we come to Moore, and uh, I think the spy love me is absolutely a five-star five star film. Yeah, five four. No, I think four. five, five. This is not the the. This is not the <laughs> Scottish football results. Four, hes five. five, four. <laughs> then we come to we come to T. Dalt's, the best of them all, the greatest bond of all, do and the greatest bond film of them all. Don't do it. License to Kill, motherfuckers. Don't do it. Five <laughs> stars official title? all the way. It was yes. yes. <laughs> License to Kill, motherfuckers. It was originally called License Refoked motherfuckers. In fact, we had a question this week about title changes in the wake of something. I can't remember what. <laughs> But, uh, but license revoked, I always think is a better title than license to kill, I, I must say. Anyway, then we come into the, the Bronholm era, and I think Bronholm smacked it straight out of the gate with GoldenEye. You can make a five star argument um, for um, GoldenEye. Um, um. Bam, 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 bam. Uh, one star uh, argument for James' rendition of Tina Turner's Golden Eye <laughs> then you have the Daniel Craig era and you could make a two, two five star argument for him with Skyfall and Casino Royale for sure. But here's the other side of Legcoin. coin there's a flip side to that coin is there a one star Bond film? Yes <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yes absolutely is yes. what do you there, think is the idea of Bond?
0: Uh, It's a toss-up between Die Another Day uh, or Die Another Day. Octopussy.
1: I saw Octopussy in the cinema and loved it as a kid, but it hasn't aged as well as. Yeah, I don't think either of them are ones. I'll be honest. I think Die Another Day. I don't think they're ones. ones. I think they're comfortably two stars. All right. Okay. I don't think this qualifies. I don't think Bond has ever gone to the lowest of the low.
0: (laughs) All right. Two more big franchises, and then I want to do a very specific, very, very quick take on this. Harry Potter and the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. There are no fives in that series. And there's no ones. Mm,
2: I I love them all, but I don't think there's a five. I don't think there's a one either, though. Crimes of Grindelwald is a two, uh, if we're counting Fantastic Beasts stuff.
0: I think Secrets of Dumbledore was a three. I would say everything directed by David Yates is a two.
2: That is so objectively wrong. That is that is incredibly wrong. His <laughs> his run of Potter, he directed yeah, yeah. the best one, which is Order of the Phoenix, and that that's the hill that he I die on. He didn't direct the best one because the best one is A Prisoner of Azkaban. I know, and everyone says that. Everyone says that, and I, I, I have it's to great, say, I have but... to say, I'm
1: I'm I may be, much as it wounds me to say this in Ben's camp here, Order of the Phoenix is the worst
0: book and the best film. Anywho, last one, Star Wars. Have at it. They're all five stars. <laughs> <laughs> it's what I was going to say about the MCU. How could you possibly do this for the MCU because it's 31 five star films? <laughs> uh, is there a one? Is there, there is a one? No one? Even as bad as The Rise of Skywalker, objectively Oi, is Ben. Let's
1: not relitigate this. Rise of Skywalker is a three. Even though I hate it, it's a what, three. What
0: about the prequels? The prequels, there's no one star in the prequels. Surely Attack of the Clones uh, it's not is, a one. is the five we're all looking for, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, nailed on.
2: Mailed on. Mailed on five stars. If we had to make a case for Star Wars, the thing I would maybe put for the one star, and it feels very harsh. But recently I tried re-watching the Clone Wars movie. because uh, I was like, maybe I maybe I will finally watch yeah. the Clone Wars. I've watched all the Rebels now. I've um an episode away from finishing Resistance. So maybe I should get around to finally watching Clone Wars. And I should start by re-watching the Clone Wars animated movie, which I did see in the cinema back in the day and remembered very little about. Much as it pains me to even indicate that Dave Filoni could be involved in something that is one star, I got halfway through the Clone Wars movie, The Clone Wars, and you spent half an hour titting around with Stinky, who is Jabba the Hutt's <laughs> the baby the baby Hutt. yeah son. Uh, I I have not finished. I started watching that like a month and a half ago. I have not finished it. I, I couldn't get through. I couldn't get past Stinky. Um, so if we really had to make a case for a one star, I think that might be it. Are I we including that's Holiday that's Special? Harsh. Does Holiday Special count? No. A holiday Special
1: might be no. a one star, actually. I mean, that's no. fair. Although it's a, it's a curio, isn't it? It's a cultural artifact. So maybe it's beloved. It in that regard I'm, I'm surprised that actually that this is that you've taken so badly against the clone wars movie like it's not good i reviewed this when it first came out for empire and i gave it three which i kind of stand by to be honest i think it does some some okay stuff
0: but this is Ben's MO, like he's all, he, <laughs> yeah. your, murder, your murderers come yeah. with smiles. Like He's, he's all, all in or all out. He's all <laughs> wreathed in friendliness <laughs> and flowers and hugs until he sees something perfectly fine, like Godzilla, King of the Monsters. <laughs> and then out come the knives, schnick to go claws claws. Yep. So I googled films with five entries in the series because I want to see if there is a franchise that runs the gamut. Uh, from five to one, and there are a couple of contenders. There are a couple of contenders. There are more uh, franchises that that have five films exactly than you might think. Born is one of them, right? I'm not saying for a second that uh, that qualifies. Five uh, fours, but Born a three. is one. Maybe two threes. Don't think it's even got a two. It's got a two. I would say that the uh, probably a three, isn't it? I'd say that's a two. Born Legacy. right, it's not that yeah. bad. Die Hard. Now, James and I were discussing this off mic. Yeah, I think there's an argument to be made for Die Hard, ticking all the boxes. I, I,
1: I know, I know what you're saying, but a good day to Die Hard, while lamentable,
0: I think it's a one. Is a two? I think it's a one. You could, if you were, <laughs> if you were moulding your argument specifically to fit this category, <laughs> and saying something in which you didn't entirely believe. You could go. Die Hard is five. Die Hard yeah. with a Vengeance, which is actually a five, is a four. Uh, die Hard Two, which is actually a four, is a three. And then Live Free or Die Hard or Die Hard Four is a two. That's incontrovertible. And then you have a good day to Die Hard, which is fucking shite. Uh, and until recently, was the worst action franchise to have a scene set in Chernobyl. Uh, <laughs> is is absolutely a one star thing. I mean, it's bad, but it's. I mean. I think it's a two. I think a one
1: feels punitive, but actually it is hateful. (laughs) So, I don't know. I do remember being consumed with an almost homicidal fury when I came out of that film. So
2: That sounds like a one to me, James. Homicidal fury (laughs) is definitely Godzilla King of the Monsters one-star mode. I think it might be Die Hard.
0: I think Die Hard might be the ultimate answer to this question, in that it's a five-film franchise that has a five, a four, a three, a two, and a one. All right. Nailed it. Nailed it. If you want to have your question read out on The Empire Podcast, then Twitter, and yes, I am still calling it Twitter, as all right-thinking people must... Musk. uh, Must Musk then get in touch with me on that. I'm at Chris Hewitt. You can slide into my DMs um, as long as you haven't used up your allotment. And or you can reply to any of my panicked shout-outs or reply to any of my tweets once you've stopped laughing, of course. Oh, phantasm.
2: Is, is that your new catchphrase? Just every so often, oh,
0: phantasm. Uh, oh,
2: phantasm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I faked every phantasm. Uh, all right. Let's move straight into movie news. And there was some Wonder Woman-related news, wasn't there, Jimbo? There was, indeed, that Gal Gadot has threatened a third
1: film in this franchise. (laughs) Come
2: on now.
1: (laughs) Until her demands are met. (laughs) Yes, we must send her $1 million or there will be a Wonder Woman 3. (laughs) Wonder Woman 1985 will be thrust upon us. Uh, No, yes, there may be. I'm confused by this because, obviously, the the DCEU's reboot seems to be be a little bit like the SAG-AFTRA kind of special exemptions thing. It's completely rebooted except when it isn't under these very specific conditions. So uh, we may see more Wonder Woman. Hopefully it will be
0: not, you know, 80 set Wonder Woman, but we'll see. As Helen has pointed out many times, and in fact as she's written about in her book, Women vs. Hollywood, The Fallen Rise of Women in Film, available now on all good and evil bookstores. Uh, you know, Patty Jenkins was a movie jail after Monster, a film that won its lead an mm-hmm. Oscar, could get a movie made for 14 years, made Wonder Woman. Great film. I think it's five stars. I think it's the best film in the DCEU. Uh, I think it's tremendous. A th- real throwback to Richard Donner Superman. Um, turned Gal Gadot into worldwide star. They made a second film a few years later. It was a bit of a stinker, in most people's opinions. I know Ben- Most know, right-thinking ben people. Come on, come on, come on. Let's not relitigate the relitigation. <laughs> and then since then, she hasn't. she's effectively a movie jail again. This is so weird. I mean, it, it's it shows the double standards and the hypocrisy in Hollywood, and it's it's you know I think that honestly that they should have been given another another go, um, you know, to, to make a third movie together. And in terms of the continuity of the DCEU, Blue Beetle is out in two mm-hmm. weeks' time, and they're and they're talking about that kind of possibly being something that, that ports over. I would be surprised if that movie makes enough of a dent for them to in the in the box office for them to uh, mm. for them to feel the need to to port it over to the. I- to the new, the DCU, as it's going to be called.
1: I think there's definitely an argument for making amends, because I think like, regardless of whether it's five or a four, Wonder Woman is a great film. And it's, you know, it's at the very top end of the DCU stuff. And then Wonder Woman 1984, I think sometimes sort of tars the original Wonder Woman. It, It detracts from it slightly. I think if they could go out on a high, that would certainly be the preferred option. So, just seems
2: like a weird choice. Like, Wonder Woman was such a cornerstone of all of that. And it, it's the element of, well, I guess Aquaman's kind of carrying on because Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom is still coming up. And it seems like Ezra Miller might still be the Flash to an extent, in the DCU. And, I don't know, Viola Davis is crossing over as Amanda Waller. There's still quite a lot of a weird amount of connective tissue between the two. It's, It's not the clean break that we were maybe sold it as being, which then makes it even weirder if Gal Gadot is not continuing as Wonder Woman because... She's great, and I genuinely like. All jokes aside, I do prefer the second one to the first one. There's so much about that second one that I like. Um, I I know it didn't. I don't know that I can share podcast air with you from this point (laughs) on. (laughs) This is why we're recording remotely, people. But it it would feel weird for her not to do it. It was strange when it was like, oh no, that that project is going to be cancelled, whereas other things are kind of continuing on. The interesting thing here is that this is Gal Gadot speaking to I think ComicBook.com. And saying, oh, yeah, I, I think I'm going to be, from what I've heard, I'm going to be developing a Wonder Woman 3 with James Gunn and Peter Safran. So very much in the DCU continuity, but there's no mention of Patty in there. It does not necessarily sound like Patty Jenkins would be involved in that. And she was not just the director on the first two, but she was kind of a real key creative voice in in kind of pulling those films together and what those films were going to be rather than a, a mm-hmm. dire- director who just kind of hopped on to a bunch of existing stuff and made it you know I just I hope for good things for Patty Jenkins I was sad that Rogue Squadron her Star Wars movie didn't go ahead uh and then it was kind of because she's got wonder woman 3 happening and then that's not happening it seems like she's potentially in a similar place almost to like henry cavill of just being caught between the gears of things and um has kind of fallen through cracks in a way that doesn't seem particularly fair uh so yeah hope for good things for patty jenkins would be happy for more gal gadot wonder woman i mean she's popped up in enough cameos this year uh in in dcu mm. movies uh to boot so like if that was the end of her time as wonder woman it feels like
0: a whimper to to end on we'll always have wonder woman we'll always have hans little theme <laughs> that bit I it's love that. It's weird. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I, who knows? Who knows? And who knows what will happen? And who knows when people will actually be able to make movies of this scale again? Uh, there has been a little bit of movement in terms of the writer's strike now, as uh, you're listening to this from Friday the 4th of August. Uh, today, Friday the 4th of August, I believe, is when the Ampt- Uh, have actually reached out to the Writers Guild of America and will be sitting down for talks with them. Now, if I were the Writers Guild, I would remember the example of Joe Pesci in Goodfellas and (laughs) be a little bit wary (laughs) If you walk into an empty room, <laughs> you know, just watch out, folks, uh, or it might be full full Joss Ackland and *Lethal Weapon* 2, uh, you know, or Derek O'Connor. I was just checking to see if I was standing on plastic, so just be careful, be careful, guys. Uh, but but hopefully that this is the beginning of a rapprochement. Uh, hopefully this is the beginning of the to poop, realizing that they they actually do need to meet the writers more than halfway. And meet the actors more than halfway as well, because uh, it's, it's kind of crazy, you know, uh, how long this has gone on and how long it could go on. So hopefully this is the beginning of, uh, of a thawing. Let us hope. Let us hope and pray. We shall see. We shall see. Fingers crossed. Uh, what else has been happening? There has been a lot of casting news for obvious reasons, but there was a director announcement last night. Which is very interesting, and this has pleased Ben and myself in particular, uh, because it seems that Scream 7 is moving ahead, and it seems that radio silence, so Tyler Gillette and Matt Bettinelli open, the guys who directed the last two movies, they will not be directing this, but they will be sticking around in a producerial capacity, and taking the directorial reins on Scream 7 will be Christopher Landon. This is good news, Ben. Very good news. Yeah, this is Christopher Landon
2: of uh, Happy Death Day. Happy Death Day to you and Freaky. And we have a ghost. He is on a real run at the moment and he is so great at doing fun, funny, gory slasher movies. You know, he's he's got a real track record for... Doing teen focused slashers that have a, a sense of edge to them and a sense of fun to them, and yeah, I'm kind of sad that the Radio Silence guys are moving on. They have a universal monster movie of some description that they are working on. All of that is kind of uh, tightly under wraps, which makes me think it might be The Mummy. Um, uh, that was a stupid <laughs> joke. And uh, oh no, we no, we have a moratorium on stupid jokes this week, Ben. Come on, okay i i retract my uh, stupid mummy joke uh so yeah they are the radio silence guys are working on a universal monster movie and if anyone's going to step into the void that that creates christopher landon is an incredible choice i am very happy for him if you've not seen freaky if you've not seen both of the happy death day movies then absolutely go out and do that and my my hope is that If he can continue this streak and if he does Scream 7 and Scream 7 does really well, then maybe, maybe we finally get Happy Death Day 3, which he has been wanting to do (laughs) for years now. And I've been wanting to watch for years now, so would be like super convenient if everybody could work that out. Maybe that's part of the (laughs) AMTPT talks. Plus an extra clause. We need Christopher Landon's Happy Death Day 3, please.
0: That should have been clause number one. In fairness, that should have been <laughs> that should have been demand number one. Never mind AI. Never mind fair pay, residuals, and fair pensions and healthcare and all the stuff and people being able to eat and pay for things and own their own homes and get in a fair day's pay for a fair day's work. All of that stuff should have come secondary to Christopher Landon being able to direct Happy Death Day three. I support that argument. Amtipa would uh, cave immediately if that had been one of the demands. I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about this. He, he is absolutely a horror geek. We've both interviewed him over the years. Uh, he is a very, very knowledgeable and talented guy, uh, and he knows his, he knows the slasher movies as well. So he put a lot of thought into the kills. in Freaky in particular, there's some amazing all-timer kills. And uh, I, I'm looking very much forward to Scream 7. Now, of course, there's a lot of speculation already about Scream 7. Will Nev Campbell return? And I kind of, I'm I'm of the opinion that she shouldn't, that the, the story is now beginning to move on. I learned yesterday that Richard Newby of a Hollywood reporter, maybe I knew this, but I, I, it seemed to be new information to me. Apparently, Wes Craven had stipulated that Sydney should never die in a Scream movie, that she should get a happy ending. So, let alone means don't bring her back, right?
2: Yeah, and I just think as well, they've done a really great job in Scream 5 and 6 of properly setting up a new generation of characters in uh tara and sam that's general ortega's character and melissa barrera's character the the sisters and this very specific dynamic they have and especially where they are both at at the end of scream six um you know what has gone down and the things that are uniting them in that moment at the end of that film is really intriguing, and I want them to double down on that. I think the big thing will be making sure that they can get General Tager, who is a massive, massive star now, post-Wednesday, and has Wednesday Season 2 coming up as well. So, I mean, I think really all their effort's theoretically going to go into getting General Tager back. And as, as legendary as Nev Campbell is, I don't think they need her in this one, and she didn't get the offer that she deserved on the last one. And I just think they can let that character rest, have her time in the sun, living a, a lovely time with McDreamy uh, somewhere off screen. You know, let let them have a nice <laughs> life.
0: Let them have the win. Leave them alone, Ghostface. Uh, also, this is an extension of something I was saying today on Twitter. But honestly, if you were considering being a Ghostface, wouldn't you decide not to, given the history of Ghostfacing? Wouldn't you just look at it and go, this isn't going to end well for me. I'm not going to be the one to buck the trend. I'm not going to be the one to succeed. Ghost facing does not end well, so I'm not going to do it. It does seem like they
2: have a low life
0: expectancy, ghost faces. And there's been plenty at this point. And they all end badly so I'm not so sure that I would have the confidence in myself like what is it about me that sets me apart from all the other ghost faces why will I succeed where they failed I just I just don't think it's going to work uh, anyway that is exciting exciting news uh, what else has been happening Jimbo anything else going on <laughs> Well, I have to say that after the horror show that was Secret Invasion
1: I was feeling a bit stung by the MCU but I'm I'm back on board. I was back on board seconds after we completed our final uh spoiler special for Secret Invasion because as we were recording it like the clouds parting and sun streaming through kind of stormy skies we got the trailer for Loki season 2 and it's glorious and it's delightful and there's so much to unpack and there's a lot going on and mobius is, is as brilliant as ever uh and i there, there's I, I genuinely don't know what the season two is about there are, there are many many conspiracies about you know how jonathan majors is going to fit into this or whether he's going to fit into this or in what way um quite whether they're in the divine timeline or not there's so much in this trailer to speculate about that i'm already excited for not just watching it, but our weekly breakdowns of the show, because because this is a show like Wonder that lent itself so much to that kind of weekly chat and the kind of water cooler discussion, because there's so many threads and theories and, and, and conundrums at its centre. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm counting down the missed minutes until it arrives.
2: and even though you know there's we don't know vast amounts about the plot of this one it seems to be another mystery to an extent where loki is basically glitching in the same way that miles morales seems to be in across the spider verse i i I think that's a coincidence more than any kind of grand multiversal Marvel link uh, between them. But yeah, Loki is glitching for some reason, and obviously the timeline is an absolute mess, and they're having to kind of figure that out and work out who the person is, who becomes he, who remains. They're going to theoretically be digging into some kind of Kang backstory. All of that is is kind of a big unknown at the moment, but what you see straight away in this trailer, and that I think we've really been lacking in Secret Invasion, is a sense of visual flair and fun. And the first season in particular of Loki really dialed into his identity as the God of Mischief, not just in the characterization, but in the show itself, the show had kind of a colorful, fluid, zigzagging kind of feel to it um, that you didn't quite know what sort of imagery you were going to see next. It had a really kind of exciting visual identity. And you feel that coming through in this trailer, which is exciting with kind of Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead uh, coming back or entering into this as the kind of lead directors having worked on Moon Knight. Um, they have a really distinctive uh, sense of, of visual identity and great at producing kind of psychedelic trippy visuals. So, yeah, really excited to see what they do th- with this as well.
0: Are they directing all six episodes of this one? I think I think they are. I think they're the only directors on this one uh which is which is interesting uh secret invasion i us just hope it was a an aberration and this is gonna be a return to the quality that we can expect—it it looks great. It, it was so funny that the trailer dropped while we were discussing Secret Invasion yeah. in our final spoiler special, and it was it was me. I think I think it was Feige. He was like, "We've
1: lost you, it. We've lost
0: <laughs> you. Quick, <laughs> quick, <laughs> launch
1: the trailer. Launch
0: the trailer. reel him back in. Bring him back to the fold. Come on. Get him back in. Get him back in. Shiny, <laughs> shiny stuff over this way, Chris. Forget this. Forget the shit show over here. Girl. <laughs> yes, pretty much that. Pretty much that.
2: By Kevin. Oh, by Feige, you mean the K E V I N, right?
0: K-E-V-I-N, yes. drop the, dropped the trailer. Uh, and uh, it looks so, so fun and so interesting and there's so much going on and there's lots of speculation. Obviously, Jonathan Majors is going to be in it as another Kang variant and what's going to happen given his um, off-screen situation at the moment and are they going to recast depending on how his trial comes out. Uh, and there's lots of speculation that um, Cuckoo and Batha raws Ravona Renslayer might be lined up to take over from Kang, to become a Kang of some kind, and then that will, you know, that will free things up moving forward. But yeah, we're, we're getting lots of little interesting little hints and... and Titbits and pointers as to where this goes. Uh, Kihi Kwan looks really, really funny as a character called Obi. Uh, There's a lovely exchange with him and Mobius about this thing that Loki is doing called time slipping, which, of course, bears a fair similarity to what Miles Morales goes through in in certain points of the the Spider-Verse movies. Uh, you get little glimpses of all you know various characters. Sofia Di Martino as uh, Sylvie. You got uh, Wimi Masaku as as B fifteen coming back, but in very very different guises. What has happened? Uh, Loki Mobius had no memory of Loki at the end of the last season. Mm-hmm. So, you know how does Loki persuade, persuade Mobius that he is a friend, not a foe? Uh, there's some really interesting stuff at the end about Loki kind of reclaiming his god of mischief powers and owning that again um yeah it all looks really really good i really really hope that this one delivers because secret invasion was a low point a low point and uh, hopefully we can get back again that'd be nice it would there was some sad news this week paul rubens aka pb herman passed away at the age of 70 after a battle with cancer over the last few years Twitter was united in praising him and his his career. Uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Tim Burton's very first film, is certainly one to seek out. Uh, and he worked a, a lot with Tim Burton through the years. He was the Penguin's dad in Batman Returns, of course. He's very funny in Mystery Men as Spleen. <laughs> uh, that's a fun film if you want to check it out. Uh, but he was... Recently, I think doing a lot of cameos and stuff, and he's very, very funny. In an episode of Thirty Rock, where he plays this demented, utterly demented character. Uh, but uh, you know, Twitter was was filled this week with great clips from his from his career. Um, I haven't seen Pee Wee's Big Adventure in a long, long time, but hopefully, I'll go back and get a chance to check it out. Paul Rubens, who was just seventy years old. All right, time to segue seamlessly into shameless plug territory uh jimbo before we talk about the new issue of empire magazine which is on sale now and all good evil and virtual news agents should we talk about some upcoming live shows i think you're about to say what's coming up on the pilot tv podcast oh god uh, i would never uh, say that i would uh, never normally enough. go I'll, into I'll those i'll
1: spare you the fact that uh, tiffany hannish i would say joins us this week she doesn't because there's a strike on she joined us a while back we're playing it this week so you know but yes live events live events we have a few don't we on the 19th of august the pilot 250th live show is at King's Place. That's very, very exciting. Now, we should pick- we
0: should specify this is not your 250th live show. This is the yes, 50th we've episode We've done a lot of low key live.
1: live shows that you don't know about. No, it's the 250th episode. We are doing it live uh, kingsplace.co.uk slash pilot250. Uh, please do come along and see us. There will be cake, genuinely, because we are having a great Pilot TV bake-off. Uh, and that is actually a thing that's happening. I don't understand why, but it is happening. Uh, so do come along to that. But m- also, also, Empire is coming to King's Place as well in September, isn't it, Chris?
0: Twice, as a matter of fact. We're coming, Can't we're coming twice. Yeah. Uh, so September 9th, tickets are still in sale for our London Podcast Festival show, which is going to be a lot of fun. September 9th, Saturday, September 9th. And then five days later, we're going to be doing a one-off, a mashup with Drunk Women Solving Crimes. A uh, very fun podcast in which three women who are drunk Solve crimes, which has just been picked up for adaptation into a TV show. Now, no one's picking this fucking thing up for adaptation into a TV show. So, uh, we are in, in fonted company for sure. And we're going to be doing drunk women empire mashup how it's going to work i have no idea it's going to be me james and helen none Drunk of them
1: solving films except no, without well,
0: alcohol yeah we don't drink yeah. we don't drink so it's going to be me ripped to the tits and coke zero and kit kats <laughs> uh we haven't figured out the details of that how it's going to work but uh tickets are on sale for both of those shows and in fact pilot's 250th show uh those are all available on kingsplace.co.uk while we're plugging should we plug the magazine yes
1: then Tell us what is in the new issue of Empire Magazine.
2: Talos? Talos what's in
0: the new magazine? Oh god! Oh, having secret invasion flashbacks
2: (laughs) Every actor who appears in the pages of Empire Magazine for this issue during the strike is actually Talos in disguise Um, No, this is (laughs) our new issue with Napoleon on the cover, Ridley Scott's Napoleon. You've got Joaquin Phoenix in a big old hat and we have an incredible big feature by Alex Godfrey On that movie, on Ridley Scott's return to the historical epic, that's always a very exciting thing when he's back in vaguely gladiator, kingdom of heaven, last duel mode, except this is going to be kind of a mashup of all of those by the sounds of things. It's a big sword swinging battles and blood and bodies historical epic as you'd expect but also it's like a deep dive into a deeply fucked up relationship between napoleon bonaparte and his wife josephine played by joaquin phoenix and vanessa kirby and uh alex spoke to ridley scott and phoenix and kirby at length about this wild movie that they've made together tons of exclusive images we also have Uh, A big old feature on Poor Things, the new Yorgos Lanthimos movie with Emma Stone and Willem Dafoe. We spoke to all of those guys uh, about this wild new film that they've cooked up. You know, a Yorgos Lanthimos movie is always going to be something unexpected. This is his first film post The Favourite. That is an incredible read. We have a big old interview with Emma Corrin and an incredible shoot with them, too, talking about A Murderer at the End of the World, their new show, and their roles in My Policeman and The Crown and Lady Chatterley's Lover and what they're going to be doing moving forward. Uh, With, yeah, really, really incredible
0: imagery on that one, courtesy of the art desk at Empire. I was allowed to speak to Denzel Washington and Antoine Foucault. Uh, about The Equalizer 3 and their long working relationship, including a, a couple of lovely stories about Training Day. And that was a ton of fun. For anyone who listens to this podcast, you will know that I hold The Equalizer films in very high regard. <laughs> and I got to talk to Denzel and Antoine about that. And the only disappointment in it for me was that I only got to do it once. Uh, the Equalizer 3, of course, coming out very, very soon. Oh, yeah. Very exciting
2: yeah that is that is a great piece and we have Celine's song on past lives we have a bunch of people paying tribute to bruce lee for the 50th anniversary of enter the dragon so we've got chad stahelski gareth evans uh shannon lee uh, who's bruce lee's daughter and uh, an actor she's part of that uh, scott adkins cynthia rothrock all paying tribute to him and his legacy and enter the dragon in particular we have a crazy look back at caligula which is about to receive uh, some kind of new cut this uh bonkers historical basically erotic
0: movie uh that kind of became it's, it's porn man it's porn it's porn, porn. <laughs> it's porn. <laughs> it wasn't porn and And then then it became they basically turned it into a porno yeah
2: is the new version still going to be porn let's find out uh we also have (laughs) this is our first (laughs) issue with a new look we've had the decorators in so when you get your new issue of empire it's all spiffy and, and nice and fresh looking uh so yeah chris's section is no longer review it is now final cut With tons of goodness. I mean, is it? I'm
0: still very much thinking about this review. but It's green
2: now, Chris. It's green. Uh, And you have James Gunn reflecting on the journey of Rocket Raccoon. You talk to the directors of Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, You talk to Lee Cronin about Evil Dead Rise. The front section of the magazine now is no longer Take 20. That is first word. And we have a big report from the strikes. We had people out on the picket lines talking to actors and writers about the strikes and where they're at and what is happening in those negotiations or lack of negotiations until uh the upcoming amped P- talks uh plus we talked to <laughs> zendaya mike faced and josh o'connor about challengers uh chris you spoke to david gordon green about the exorcist believer uh there's a bonkers trailer talk on the Wonka trailer which Uh, I kid you not, was like a 40-minute conversation in the office that was wildly off the rails from the first 30
0: seconds. It's, yeah, packed full of goodness. And also in my section, we have a ranking. This month's ranking is the Pink Panther franchise, which might also be an answer to the question of is there a franchise that has a five-star, a four-star, a three-star, a two-star, and a one-star. But I'll be honest, folks, after watching all of them again, I'm not sure there's a five-star in there. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm not entirely sure there's a four. Uh, anywho, let's have a guest. So this week sees the release of Meg 2, The mm-hmm. Trench, or Meg to the Trench, is like step up to the streets, in which Meg <laughs> steps up to the streets, in which Meg... Uh, the Megalodons return and ruin Jason Statham's day. Uh, this is a sequel, of course, to the original The Meg from, I think, was it 2018, 2017, something like that? It's been, it's been a few years now since we saw Jason Statham as Jonas Taylor. Punch the hell out of uh, giant sharks, uh, but they're back, back, back. And to make things really interesting, this is the big budget Hollywood movie debut of one of our favorite filmmakers, Ben Wheatley. Uh, And we showed the film last night as part of the Empire VIP Club. (laughs) Let's keep the shameless plugs going. You can subscribe to that by going to empireonline.com forward slash VIP to have a chance of attending incredible events like this. And afterwards, I sat down with Ben in front of the audience and had a lovely Q&A with him. Now, I had literally just seen the film, so thank God I liked it. Otherwise, this could have been a very, very, very awkward Q&A indeed. As it is, it's a lot of fun. Here's Ben Wheatley. Please welcome the director of *Meg: Two of the Trench*, Ben Wheatley. Uh, you said before in your introduction that you had the time of your life making this, and yeah. I, think it, I think it's very evident on screen. Tell us more. Tell us how you are locked into into this movie.
3: Well, uh, Amy and I, Amy Jump and I, were kind of working on um, *Tomb Raider*, and that yeah. was that was pottering along. And we were set to shoot. And then COVID happened. We were like, oh, shit. And it, well, everything closed down. And that was it. It was kind of crashed and burned at that point. And then I started making in the earth. And while I was making in the earth um, in, a, in an abandoned hotel somewhere where everyone was bubbling together so that you couldn't get catch the, the dreaded COVID, I got um, mm-hmm. an email which had the Meg 2 script on it. And I went, what?
0: <laughs>
3: and I thought, you know, I've always tried to make stuff that's uh, ninety degrees from the last thing I made. Yeah. And you couldn't get more extreme, <laughs> whip, whiplash from in the earth, like the, the the one two hit of Rebecca in the Earth Meg too. Yeah. So that really appealed to me, and it just it was just bonkers. And I was thinking, well, you know, I, I've always wanted to work with Statham. I love giant monster movies. Yeah, and the script. I really enjoyed the script because it was basically like totally. The the characters are so straight ahead Mm -hmm. and optimistic Mm -hmm. against all the odds, and they just want to power through. And there's no cynicism in them. Yeah, and I just wanted to make something that was like that. That just it wasn't sarcastic about itself. It just was, you know. You as a filmmaker, you're going into it going, "I love these kinds of movies, and I want to make this fucking film." And I'm not, you know, you're you're with it as yeah. a filmmaker going, I want to make sure that, um, there's no, it's not really winking to the audience as silly as it can be. Mm-hmm. It believes in it. Yeah. A hundred percent. Who was that email from, by the way? The one with the... Well, it would have been through my agent and, okay. but, but then it's, uh, talking to Bell Avery and, uh, Lorenzo who are the, the producers mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a load of calls that I had to make and backwards and forwards and meeting up with them and pitching them stuff. But I just, I think I just said I loved it and loved action, and it all come from Free Fire, really. Yeah. So they'd seen Free Fire and they went, "Oh right, he, you know, that's that's of someone who enjoys genre, yeah, and wants to make, you know, wants to make something that if you had a bit more money." Could get out of the room. <laughs> the free fire was set in, and marauded about a bit. You know.
0: <laughs> so you, you kind of went up a budget level with Rebecca, and yeah. then you went back again with In the Earth. Yeah, and then this obviously blows. I, I guess this is combined more than everything you'd worked on previously. Times times by a multitude. By, by about five. Yeah. What What's it like going into that world? I mean, how do you do? You, do you adjust very quickly to to that level?
3: Um, I think I've always thought that budgets were like. You know, if it's more than you wanna risk in a card game, it's a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it doesn't matter. You know, if it's, you know, ten thousand pounds. Hey, I, I play big card games. No, I, <laughs> five 50 pounds. But you know, if it's if it's if it's ten grand or a mil you know, half a million or a million, it's still it's it's beyond Thinking about it's more more than a house and more than all these things. So when it gets up to the really big stuff like this, it it becomes quite abstract. Mm. But what it allows you to do is just opens up a load of possibilities, you know. And and I found with this, it was like you were we. I, 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 I kind of thought about it like it's like Spotify when you first get Spotify and you're just limited by your own imagination of what you can listen to. And it was mm. the same with this. You like this with this money, you could do anything. Yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> and that's the pressure of it.
0: Uh, so w- when you come on board, then when the script uh, arrives, do you and Amy? Do you work in the script? What, what, what sort of? Did you overhaul the script, or were you happy with it as it was? There's. It, it's more
3: like you. You kind of. You're talking to the producers, and you're. Sh- what I wanted to do was get a, a united front. You know, I don't want to get, I don't want to have a situation where I'm, I'm arguing with people on the floor or while we're shooting it or in the edit suite. I don't want that. I want to be as clear as I can about everything. So there was a lot of like work done on storyboards and it was like, that was where I changed the script. So the action is not in the script pretty much. Okay, The action all comes from drawings and kind of, um, I think there's even a line in the script, which is the most incredible action sequence ever. You know, it's just like, thanks guys. Yeah, okay. Um, it's, but it, it's great because it allows you, a, it's a it's a free hand to kind of develop stuff. So um, so I wouldn't necessarily, you know, I, I, as a big group of us, we're all looking at the script and kind of prodding it and poking it. And there's different people want different things out of it. But then, you know, to the side, I'm kind of merrily rewriting the action
0: with pictures. mm mm-hmm what was uh, what was really fascinating there's there's a lot of stuff uh, towards the end you, you, there's a, there's a lot of stuff where there's cg involved of course but there's shots of the staithe on a jet ski that looked like you had the staithe on a jet ski and you were standing the insisted. camera to him
3: he absolutely <laughs> insisted he did, and he, and he came back in the edit and he took out anything that was on a gimbal you know except for right. the really extreme shit like going yeah. up on that wave he, and even he couldn't do that but <laughs> the uh, all the rest of it was him f- for real, you know, and so they went the the second unit went out with him, and he just went blasting round on that jet ski for hours <laughs> that was it, and then uh. Yeah, and it, and going really fast and just giving everyone a heart attack. Just like <laughs> just going, oh my god! If he comes, it's like right at the beginning of the shoot in Thailand. If he comes off, this is just going to turn to paste. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> but then the Wu Jin was the same. You know, I, I was like, are oh, we doing this stuff with helicopters? And he's going, oh yeah, great. And they get the rushes back, and he's hanging off the side. Yeah. of it. he's just like, what? 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 No, that wasn't asked for.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, I, I got, I've got Sophia Tom Cruise vibes of of that bit. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally uh, as well. So that's what you want. You want you you want that sense of, yeah. of peril. You want the sense of the action. There was no plot
3: reason for that. <laughs> 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 but when you ride a helicopter, you go. What I need to do is stand on the skid <laughs> as we're going. It's not dangerous enough for me.
0: You, you said you were wor- wanted to work with uh, Statham for a while. Mm. What was the experience like? And how, how long have you, have you known him for a while?
3: No, I mean he's just on the job. So okay. it's kind of yeah. I mean he's obviously a bit a massive action star and has and knows what he's doing. You know, he has been in experienced lots of different movies and understands his own physical sense of himself and what the audience wants. So there is a conversation back and forth about, you know, how, you know, what, what a hero is to his audience, Mm. and then you kind of work it out like that. But then Wu Jin's exactly the same, so he's like, you know, in the the Chinese style of filmmaking is you go on set and throw the script in the bin and make it all up from (laughs) scratch to make for the betterment of the movie you know so there's a lot of that kind of intense kind of talking backwards and forwards and working it out as we're shooting it but luckily i think the the spine of the script was strong and the storyboards were strong so it kind of kept it kept that kind of energy in in check
0: uh, it's interesting how you maintain the balance it's an, it's an ensemble movie it's a, it's a state the movie but it's an ensemble film as well yeah. I mean, everyone gets something to do there's real balance uh between the characters at the end
3: yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was worked on a lot and it was like the idea obviously, cause Wu Jin is an action star in his own right. Mm-hmm. Um, and has done movies that are like Statham movies in China. So we couldn't just have another Statham turn up so that, that, that kind of had to be balanced so that he, he was very keen to play against type and do and not, not do any Kung Fu and do, uh, and he was playing like a scientist basically.
0: Uh, it was interesting. I noticed a couple of um, Ben Wheatley repertory company players. Uh, Robin Hill yep. is in this. Sienna Guillory you've worked with before yep, as yep. well. Anyone else that, that you Glover. snuck in? Richard Glover. Where
3: was he? He'd riding a helicopter. Okay. <laughs> um, Tony Way was in it, but didn't make the cut. Oh, no. And guess what happened to him? He got eaten. Yeah, he died. There you <laughs> uh, and you wanted to get those people in. Uh, yeah, definitely. It was great to see Rob in it. Yeah, you know, and um, we had a good laugh on the on the days he was in. So, um, and he also he doesn't get killed, and he gets to mug Statham off. So it was, <laughs> so he might get to return, you know, in make three, yeah, in make three, yeah, the pirate story, yeah, <laughs> entirely from his point of view, yeah,
0: exactly from his point of view, uh, dumping shit off the side of boats. <laughs> as as someone who loves genre like you do, you know, when you when you're working with sharks. There's a pretty big shadow. Jaws three. Everyone, everyone's thinking. I about thought it. you're going to go Jaws two. That's my favorite. <laughs> That's the one you mentioned. You actually yeah. it gets name checked. Jeno Schwartz. Hang on I've got, I've got, hang on, I've got to pick you up. on that one. Jaws two is your favorite. Uh, well, I'm kidding. Rewind.
3: You're like, Rewind. You're, like, you're talking about Jaws three. It's, it's Jaws two <laughs> is obviously the better film than Jaws three. It, it is. Yeah. But the uh, Jaws know, four is the one. Spiel, Spielberg is. A, you know the the Jaws itself is my favorite film. I think, and I've. And I watch it every year and I've been watching it since I was a kid. So, it, you know, and it's not just the best sharp film. Obviously, it's one of the best films ever. Yeah. And and bears re-watching a lot. And it's even more irritating because he did it when he was like 26. <laughs> so it, it's a, like almost a perfect film for me, I think.
0: Did you take inspiration from it or do you run, run the giant in the opposite film? direction? <laughs> yeah. Well, because there's, there's a moment in here where you're almost recreating Quinn's death.
3: Yeah, I don't want to
0: get that's too absolute, much to spoilers That's about
3: absolutely, it. yeah. That's on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also a reference to uh, Roland Emmerich's Godzilla.
0: As <laughs> all good films must be. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about that? That that's sort of the, the, the shadow of Spielberg, trying to avoid it, trying to do your own I don't thing? think you can avoid it.
3: You can, you just have to embrace it because it's so much in, it's so in culture. There's no, there's no kind of going, getting sniffy and going, oh no, I don't, <laughs> You know, I didn't watch that. You know, it, it, it's, yeah. And, it, and it's also that kind of, that that film bridges the um, horror and entertainment at the same time as well. Probably one of the first films to do that, that it's, um, and it's the first ever blockbuster. I mean, yeah. there's so much, there's so much about Jaws that's that's super important. And then it's like a deeply weird film in its own sense.
0: Yeah. It slows down for the last 45 minutes and has a bunch of guys on a boat. Just, yeah.
3: What happens just nattering.
0: Brody's wife? Yeah.
3: See ya. <laughs> I'm not in the film anymore, and the, and the mayor. I I was important, wasn't I? No. <laughs> Which is still all great, you know, and that, uh, and it's that kind of and it and it's a bridge for Spielberg from. I suppose he does it a bit more in close encounters, but there's almost that kind of American socio realist stuff in there as well. Yep. And like those performances are slightly improv and kind of,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, just where he blocks the action uh, as well.
3: Yeah, well, there's yeah, crazy oneers, which yeah. are completely artificial, yeah. but brilliant. And then crazy, like real life family stuff, dynamic stuff going on in there, incredibly, you know, um, nuanced performance. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's the, great.
0: That film uh, famously had a troubleshoot. Sort of Jaws too, by the way. Have you ever. Uh, read about you know, if you've never read about the, uh, the Megan of Jaws 2 it was as nightmarish as Jaws really? uh, oh, yeah they, they replaced the director the original director he was the guy who directed um, uh, Let's Scare Jessica to Death oh right yeah and uh, he did six weeks and then they, they got rid of him and it was just hell from that point on but uh, that of course was famously you know one of the, <laughs> don't shoot on water do yeah, not yeah. shoot on water do not shoot in boats did you learn from that? no <laughs>
3: Just to say, like, I have a theory for Jaws 2. Okay, Friday the Thirteenth, right, is the same year. It is. It's the same film. <laughs> it's like <laughs> horny teenagers, right, getting murdered, <laughs> and like the more horny they are, the more likely they get killed. Which is exactly what happens in Jaws 2. So, are you saying, except for they're just on the on the lake rather than in in, <laughs> in, in, in
0: tents? Are you saying that the shark in Jaws two is Jason? Yes. So is the son of the shark from the original movie?
3: Maybe <laughs> should we interrogate this theory? Well, I mean, I think than? I think the thing is you've got to believe that it's a family of sharks in the jaws. Well, you have movies, to movies, yeah. Right up to the one that tries to kill Michael Caine and yeah. gets
0: pierced by his boat. <laughs> which is incredible. It comes after the rain, Gary. It's bumped. It's it's knocked off one of the Brody kids, and now it comes after Lorraine we did, Gary. We
3: did watch that one a lot, and especially for roaring sharks. Because that does a lot of roaring. That yeah, it does. Uh, it does. And I was told in certain terms that sharks don't have vocal cords. Come on. I know. It's ridiculous, but they don't. Um, you got yeah. some license to play with, surely. Some creative license here. I think in, in Jaws 4, it comes out and goes back in,
0: doesn't it? it gets, it's taunting them with it. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from that for this one. Were you realistic with the sharks? did you did you have Megalodon experts on set them over uh,
3: over my shoulder all the time <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we were really serious about getting it exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a documentary style movie. It's important. i don't I don't want one marine biologist to be put out, of, you know over the movie. What the fuck,
0: Dear Mr. Wheatley. <laughs> Why, oh, why, oh, why? <laughs> is the plan then to make more movies like this? I
3: mean, all well, I'm doing next is six hours for Channel 4 TV series.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So, horror based thing. So, yeah, I'm going in, in the same way that I did um, in the Earth after Rebecca. I'll do something that's back to kind of kill listy, sightseersy world. And then mm-hmm. one, once I've got that out of my system, then I'll be looking to do another. Um, larger uh, film, but yeah, nothing that, you know, the world is completely unknitted thanks to the various strikes. Yeah. So there's nothing who knows what the situation will be like in the new year. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's skills learned on this, which are painfully not transferable to anything else, but <laughs> doing, doing something massive. So, yeah. What was
0: the end, uh, the most, the, the, the skill that you, you took away from this that you didn't have before?
3: um not running into the corner and crying and weeping because <laughs> it's also pressurized <laughs> like holding the line you know and I think that with, with lot multiple kind of um fast and difficult decisions that was and it was that and it, and it kind of um uh, having the the energy to do it I've always worried about that as I've made you know over the over the 10 years I've been making films most of them are not not longer than seven weeks or eight weeks And you're exhausted after that. And then something like this, we see 16. And by the time you've done the post is like two years. Yeah. I always wondered what that was going to be like. And thankfully it was fine, you know, and and you, you adjust, but you do find that over the run of it, you are a different person by the end, which you aren't when you make the short, short films, you're like that person definitely as you make it. But by the time something like this, I mean, I was on this for three years. So, and you're forced to make decisions because of post. Yeah. That you don't see for a year. I mean, on this, we didn't see the sharks until the last two weeks of post. Jeez. So it all looked like PlayStation 2. And then you're just, fingers crossed, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. Yeah, well, you know that they're the best in the world, the people doing it. So you, yeah. you trust them, but you can't help being human and going, oh, God, please. It's. But then the thing was, we did test this really early. You know, we right. tested it with none of the effects in and, and got good reactions. So we knew we were all right. And it was only going to get better once the, once the actual sharks were in it. <laughs> 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 and it turned out, yeah, that's great. But it's like making a movie with the star isn't there
0: for for most of the time of it. Jesus, what, what, what was that like? That 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 you know, yielding to that sort of test screening process. And how often have you done it in your in your career? I'm, I'm, I'm guessing Down Terrace is not something you, you test.
3: No, didn't test that. We did test Free Fire, right? But not in a way that was relevant because we never acted on any of it. <laughs> I mean, I remember I remember that we did the first test of it, and they went, yeah. It doesn't play well with over fifty-year-old women, and I'm like, it didn't need to fucking test it to know that, you know. It's like that—that that was evident. And then another, I read the card, the cards, which I should never have done. And one of them was like, "I faint at the sight of blood." This film was terrible for me. <laughs> fucking free fire, yeah, brilliant. But. So, (laughs) so that, you know, but this one, yes, we test, we tested Rebecca and kind of did audience reactions for, that's for, in in a, in a more meaningful way. Um, but on this, we tested a lot, like six, seven times, I think. And there was videos of the audience in infrared and it was really useful. You know, you could really see what, what played. And if there was a discussion and someone was going, this is really good, blah, blah, blah. And then you test it and it doesn't get a reaction. You go, that that didn't work, did it? And everyone will admit that at that point. Okay. Um, but equally you can kind of risk stuff and go, I think this this moment is going to play really well and they'll all go, mm, will it? And then you, you see it and you can play the infrared footage back and go, look, that's the reaction. They're enjoying it or they're not enjoying it. So it's very binary like that.
0: There's an amazing shot where we see inside a Meg's mouth as it's chomping on a whole bunch of people. Yes. Sure, ben Wheatley. Where did that come from? Yeah, yeah. That's that was um from a. a
3: I sat down and drew up a load of gags for the shark. Mm. That was one. the The pedlo was the other one. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't remember. There was another one. Oh, there was one with that was which did get in, which was Tony Way, who was in a on a yacht going like this with a drink, <laughs> and then the shark hit him. And then there was the one where the shark jumped up onto the cabana thing and rolled around on the thing, eating people (laughs) and then, and then at the DJ that didn't make it in. That's my, that's my one regret.
0: (laughs) Oh, sad to end on the note of regrets, but, but there we are. Uh, thanks so much for coming guys. Thanks for your questions. Thanks of course. Ben Wheatley, everybody. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Okay, so that was Ben Wheatley talking about Meg 2, The Trench. Ben, you saw it last night as well. What did you think?
2: I had fun with Meg 2, The Trench. It's not The Meg 2, it is just Meg 2. Drop the the, it's cleaner. Um, And, you know, you get to watch this big, crazy, stupid, giant shark movie and then have the thrill of the end credits popping up and saying a ben wheatley film that's just a, a unique situation to be in uh so yeah this is uh ben wheatley picking up from john turtle taub uh return of jason statham as you mentioned jonas taylor who basically in this one is deckard shaw but like a little bit nicer uh, he's in kind of action spy mode he is hiding away in ocean liners and spying and getting caught out by parrots that is an actual thing that happens in this movie uh and he is soon roped into a mission they have to go down into the trench from whence the meg once came they have new technology that now allows them to go beneath the thermal layer that has been trapping all of the (laughs) meggy evil down in the deep and once that breach is ruptured all kinds of beasties come out jason statham and a bunch of other marine biologist people i guess are all trapped at the bottom of the ocean trying to survive and there are megs making their way out of the thermo layer and into the regular old ocean and what do you (laughs) know (laughs) jason statham has to get on a jet ski and sort it all out um that is the film It is exactly what you'd expect from that it is silly and a bit rubbish but really fun and i think ben wheatley has fun with it you what was really nice chris in the interview that people have just heard and that i heard in front of the audience last night is that he is not ben wheatleyifying this there is not kitchen sink drama there is not nightmare hallucinogenic sequences. You're not gonna get those kind of that kind of Ben Wheatleyisms, but he wanted to make a big studio monster movie, and he has made that. And he's leaned in to all of the tropes, all of the trappings. This film for me feels a bit more in on the joke than the last one did. I feel like the the marketing for the Meg was much jokier and winkier than the actual film was. And I think going into this one statham is in full on every line he says is basically a quip or telling a small child that they're going to be okay even though there are giant marauding sharks everywhere uh it's playing on this kind of fun knowing register for me there was still a bit much in the way of like talky stuff um you know it, it kicks off in quite a fun way but i i struggled a bit when they get to the trench they are in the trench for a while and i thought the film slowed down at that point and to to necessitate them getting down to the trench there is a fair amount of marine waffling um uh, that i kind of could have done without but the final act of this is really fun. Megs everywhere, people screaming, Jason Statham on a jet ski, good times. Yeah, I had fun with this. There's all sorts of beasties in it. Uh, it is not going to change the world. But if you are going to the cinema to see a fun Meg movie, having enjoyed the Meg, I'm pretty sure you're going to enjoy Meg 2 The Trench.
0: Yeah, I think I had a bit more fun with this than, than you did. I think that this is almost one of those evolutionary leaps that a franchise is capable of taking where it, it really, really utterly embraces the ridiculous. Not to say that the first one didn't do that, but I felt that Ben Wheatley is better at nailing that sense of the ridiculous than, than John Turtletop was on the first movie. Uh, uh, and this feels to me like almost, it's it's, it's not quite the... The evolutionary step that Fast Five was from Fast and Furious and from the rest of those movies, but it's not far off. I had an absolute blast with this, and I was so relieved because I was <laughs> I was doing a Q and A with Ben Wheatley immediately afterwards. And yeah, I'm a professional, obviously, and I would have been able to to mask it. But if you talk to someone immediately after seeing a a, a bad film, uh, that can be a tough one to get past. I didn't like the first movie at all. Uh, I think the first movie is bad, and I was honestly expecting Ben Wheatley to be chewed up and spat out by the by the, the movie-making machine here. And it's not just Hollywood, this is a Chinese co-production as well, and Wu Jing is uh, basically the co-lead, along with Jason Statham in this. And uh, if there were dual pressures on Ben Wheatley, um, he handled it very, very adroitly. And I think there's lots of Ben Wheatley-isms in the movie. Uh, there's uh, there's some great shots that I've, I don't know whether whether I've left it in, but we talked about one POV shot in particular, which made me chuckle. There's a there's a there's a very very dark sense of humor that shoots through this film, uh, uh, also. And uh, the state is on great form. I like what they did with Cliff Curtis's character. I like what they what they did with Paige Kennedy's character DJ. who gets uh, a lot more to do this time around. Uh, it's just absolute nonsense and carnage and it leans into that and uh, I had a really really good great time uh, you gave it three I had a ton of fun with this I had such a fun time with it and um, it made me laugh a lot with the absurdity of it all but uh, but we gave it
2: three I'm really excited for the DVD release or the home ends release because uh, a lot of my DVD and Blu-ray shelves are grouped by director if I've got a lot of their body of work and I cannot wait to put the Meg Two, or sorry, Meg Two, the Trench next to in the earth next to. Oh, there never was a a, a Blu-ray release of ha- Happy New Year, Colin Burstead or uh, Rebecca, sadly. But if they do, they're going to go right next to Meg Two on my shelf. <laughs>
0: Indeed. Indeed. All right. Three stars then for Meg to the trench. Uh, Next up, we have a film that came out on Monday, which is now a new thing. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Jimbo, you've seen this one, haven't you? I have indeed seen Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I can
1: say exclusively here, it is by some degree the best Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film. However, that was not a particularly tricky bar. Too clear, I would say. So, this one comes to us from uh, Jeffro, who uh, co directed the phenomenally good five star film. Thank you, Ben Travis, yes. Michels versus the Machines. Uh, and this stars the sort of sewer dwelling turtles, but in a slightly different way. So, it kind of maintains that kind of it seems reductive to compare it to spider-verse but it has a very distinctive visual style it's scrappy it's sketched it's a mix of 2d 3d it's very very effective it makes the film beautiful to look at uh but also the turtles here have real character and and i think part of that is because of the casting they cast actual teenagers as the turtles um which gives them a sense of real adolescence which i actually think you get you always got from the comics i think has often been lost from this franchise and it's a really fun story they're You know, they are, as we know, they've been subjected to mutant creating ooze in the sewers as little turtlettes, and they grow into kung fu loving adult, well, adolescent turtles. Um, In this, they decide to try and force acceptance from society by taking down the criminal that is terrorizing the city in the form of Ice Cube's Superfly, a fly mutant surrounded by a cadre of other mutants who are all, frankly, singularly hilarious and voiced by massive, massive stars. It's a lot of fun, and I will say this has maybe five or six properly genius gold-clad standout jokes, including one uh, involving the Hollywood Chrises, uh, which are genuinely brilliant. And actually, I think in terms of salvaging turtles, which are are great comics but have never really... I think worked on the big screen before i think this is by far and away as i say, the best attempt to do it and it really succeeds in capturing what makes the turtles fun to hang around with they all have distinctive not just visual identities but personalities they do feel sort of of a piece but also distinct uh and and as i say some of the gags in it are brilliant i think where i fell from this like i I think a lot of people like this more than i did not just because it's animation but i think for me where the plot goes in the third act for me I, I it lost my interest a little bit. Like my, my my joy for this faded into the third act. Though I will concede at this point, I do think I may be in the minority here. My people I spoke to when I came out loved it. Uh, but I felt like by the end it had dragged a little bit. But it but look, it's joyful, it's fun, it looks beautiful. Uh there's a lot, there's a lot to enjoy here. Plus, it has Jackie Chan as a rat. And you know, <laughs> that's a recommendation.
2: And an incredible hip-hop soundtrack. They don't only have ice cube voicing superfly but they have you know a real stacked roster of like 90s hip-hop songs there's a lot of tribe called quest in there it's just feel good energy from front to back Um, the look of this it can't be understated how incredible it looks as james said it's got this kind of sketchy Mm. hand-drawn pencil textures scribbles across the screen to get this kind of youthful energy across and the turtles themselves weirdly almost feel like this kind of claymation texture or like it changes from shot to shot how the turtles look and feel based on the environment they're in which is really really smart yeah this is a really good time my one qualm would be I liked how they you know made the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles actual teenagers as you said and they have a really fun conversational style together I think they actually did get the four young actors in the room together to record so that they captured that energy of them all kind of pinging off each other. I wish there was a little bit more distinction between those individual turtle personalities because I know that's a really distinct thing from other variations of, of these characters. And as fun as they all are together, I didn't always get a sense of like, oh, that is absolutely a Donatello thing to say, or that's absolutely a Michelangelo thing to say. But you're kind of just having too much fun hearing them all like take the piss out of each other and rile each other on. To, to worry about that in the moment and yeah it looks stunning tons of fun jeffro i think did a great great job coming off mitchell's and the machines and coming into this very mm. exciting
1: i don't think uh, Raphael enjoyed the film though big size
2: I don't understand that. I saw this weeks ago. (laughs) I feel very tired. (laughs) I feel at this point, were were I to explain the joke, it would
1: make it even worse. So I'm just going to leave it out there and say that was an excellent joke for those who understood it. And if you didn't, move
0: along. (laughs) But surely, James, size matter not. (laughs) Oh, yes. Judge me by my size, do you? We do, yes. Damn it. Uh all right. I haven't seen this one yet. I'm very excited to do so. We gave it four stars in another in a cracking year, a halcyon yeah. year for animation on the big screen. Four stars then for teenage mutant ninja turtles, mutant mayhem, turtle power. Turtle power. Turtle power last but not least this week is Joyride Jimbo.
1: Yes, indeed. So this is directed uh, by Crazy Rich Asians co-writer Adele Lim is in her directorial debut, and frankly, what a debut it is! Uh, This is a film which wholeheartedly, to me at least, lives up to the title. So it is essentially a girls' road trip comedy film. Uh, It starts with two young girls in a playground. in a place called, I think it's called like White Hill. It is the whitest neighborhood of, uh, around, and they're the only two Chinese kids there. They instantly form a bond. Uh, it is Audrey, who will, when she grows up, be played by Ashley Park, and Lolo, who will, when she grows up, be played by Sherry Cola. Sherry is this kind of like, uh, not when she's a kid, but when she grows up, she's this kind of sex-positive artist. She's a bit bohemian. Uh, Audrey is more of a kind of button-down. She's a lawyer. She code-switches between her sort of white, mainly male colleagues, and she gets sent on a business trip To China and Lolo tags along and more to the point they also bring a friend of theirs called Deadeye played by Sabrina Wu on this road trip as well and when they get there they meet up with uh with Audrey's college friend Kat played by the excellent Stephanie Su aka Joe Topaki and this essentially becomes a road trip around China as they all try to. Well, partly so that Audrey can can because she's adopted by white parents, so she can uh, get in touch with her Chinese heritage, her Chinese identity. She's someone who feels too Chinese for America and too white for China. Um, and it's a film about bonding. It's a film about cultural identity. Each one of them brings a very distinct kind of take on the Asian American experience, and all of that stuff is beautifully, beautifully subtly done but it's really, really fucking funny all the way through and really filthy funny as well. It's got sex, it's got drugs, it's got vajazzles, it's got so much going on. And there, it genuinely, like, there's a laugh out loud gag in this film less than two minutes in, and it really sets the tone for this. Like I am famously humorless, as you know, and I found this properly hysterical. I watched this with Helen. I was pissing myself all the way through it. I found it absolutely joyful. There's like a K-pop sequence in it, which is... I mean, let's just say it's an image that will stick with you for the rest of this year by the time you get to the end of that. I mean, genuinely, it's brilliant. All four of those leads are fantastic. Um, and this is one of the best times I think it's possible to have in the cinema this year. I genuinely do. I, I had an absolute
2: joy ride, frankly, watching it. So there you go. Wow. It is it's really good fun. The other thing is that it is surprisingly emotional. I have to say, I really laughed yeah. a lot early on. And for me, some of the laughter, it's a very, very broad comedy and quite a lot of it, they're very talented and funny performers, but quite a lot of the gags, I'd say, in the middle section feel a bit more improvised at points. And the, the humour kind of dipped for me, but the emotional side really kicks in towards the end in a way that feels really earned and really satisfying. It goes to some you know, surprisingly touching places. So the, there's a lot of laughs to be had, but it comes with some real substance to it as well. I think that's why, mm. you know, the the fun stuff feels as fun as it does because it knows when and how to get serious, which I think is, is a really kind of smart balance. And Yeah, as you said, the the cast is great. I thought Sherry Cola, I don't think I'd seen her in many things and I thought she was just a complete whirlwind Uh, as is Sabrina Wu who plays Deadeye. They are really really funny and have a completely different energy to everybody else and they just complement the other women really, really smartly. So, uh, yeah, this is a a lot of fun. The comedy is very broad and, as James said, very rude. So don't take your parents. Um, (laughs) But take a load of mates, have a couple of drinks, have some sherry colas, and uh, you'll have a really good time with
0: this. All right. That sounds exciting. Uh, We give us four stars then, I'm guessing. Yes. Four stars. What a week. What a week. What a week at the multiplex. Go and see films. Uh, folks, go and see films, is all I can say on that one. And on that note, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film related fun when we, but possibly not me, will be joined by, because I'm going to be in Northern Ireland and I don't know whether my sister's Wi Fi can, frankly, <laughs> hold up to the task. Uh, but we will be joined by actual actors. It doesn't mean the strike is over. The strike is on, but this is an interview that was recorded before the strike, and it is with the stars of the new Netflix spy actioner, Heart of Stone, Aliabat, and Gal Gadot. Oh yes. Oh yes indeed, folks. Uh, And there may be also someone else as well. We shall see. We shall see. But anyway, until then, until we meet again, until... That auspicious occasion, it is goodbye for my two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Ben Travis.
2: Rise of Skywalker is a four-star movie. Goodbye. I said no stupid jokes, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off.
0: <laughs> 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 wow. Poke the bear. Poke the bear.
2: You you you're gonna unleash the Godzilla King of the Monsters rage.
0: The dark passenger has uh, has arrived. Uh, it's goodbye from James Dyer.
1: Goodbye, Chris. I will concede, Rise of Skywalker is better than Wonder Woman
0: 1984.
2: <laughs> That's true. I agree. <laughs>
0: Oh my god! Uh, all right, let's not bring Molly's game into this, shall we? <laughs> the Aaron Stork and Cinematic Universe will be here all year. Uh, it's goodbye for me as well. Uh, I am off to rate my two colleagues of such lethal cunning along the the same criteria. One of them is a five star. One of them is a one star. Which is which? Hmm. Interesting. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Oh.